Welcome to After Credits here on the Intercut Podcast channel, where we review a new show, including everything that comes after the credits. I'm your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's like the hero of his own Italian opera, it's Arturo Zurita. I also don't know if I may be in the minority here, but I think season two, if they're calling it season two of a limited series... It's better than season Sicily? one, bro. I, I, I don't know if you are in the minority. It felt like a lot of the initial reviews that I saw from critics were saying that they liked season one more than season two. But oh. as the as the show has, like, disseminated to most people and become, you know, weekly conversations on Twitter on Sundays, I, I feel like I've been hearing, maybe it's just anecdotally, but from a lot of people who now prefer season two to season one. Of course, now we also are at the finale of season two. We, so we yep. see the whole picture. As you were mentioning before we started, we get an extra hour of it as this one is seven episodes long as opposed to the first season's six episodes uh but yeah it's a it's another uh season full of exploits and hijinks and uh conspiracy theories and whodunits and questions that lingered over the season in the form of several dead bodies but let's go back to the beginning and talk a little bit more generally about the White Lotus season two. White Lotus Sicily, depending on how HBO <laughs> Dep- decides to <laughs> depending style on it for SEO. We're in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The return to Mike White's limited but not so limited series that mm-hmm. see that follows a group of guests employees and locals at a luxury resort over the course of a week uh the action is transported from hawaii to sicily in season two as we're introduced to a whole host of new characters as well as a couple returning characters most notably jennifer coolidge's uh character of tanya art you you mentioned it briefly at the beginning here but just going back into white lotus what do you think about season two in comparison to season one what is it that made this season stand out more to you uh, I think it's the writing. I think a lot of what people liked in the first one, be it with the characters and the way that uh, it was able to... Uh, I think we were discussing like the differences between the seasons and what they've talked in the after shows is that one was focused more on a lot of the racial politics and you had a mm-hmm. lot of like hierarchy stuff going on, especially with the workers uh, and how they intermingled with the, with the families there. Here you do have some workers, right? But like the, the workers are going through their own interplay uh there's a lot more of the employees having to deal with like the characters of lucia and her friend where they're just the regular street people and trying to create that divide mm-hmm. season two had the sexual politics that you know you had mentioned and has clearly been like the forefront of the show and there's just something about how they break that down that i found to be more engaging i found to mm-hmm. be uh a little bit better than the first season in the sense of how they were able to build the mystery i also think the payoff of the finale is, is superior than the first one. Um, it may not be the character that some people may want it to be, but I thought the way that they were able to execute the execution was perfect. Um, I also think the setting was beautiful. 
um, you had some really good camera work this this season. Uh, obviously, because of the location that you have, you also were able to get some really good banter in the way that everyone was able to intermingle. And I looked forward to that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think for that alone, I have it a little bit ahead. Probably as much as I also have in this this year of uh, sequels, uh, Knives Out 2, just a little bit ahead of Knives Out 1. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I would highly recommend it, even if you didn't see the first one or if you did didn't like it definitely give season two a chance yeah it definitely feels in in some ways like its own unique thing um i I still even after the finale lean more towards season one uh i think there is something about the different conversations you know last time that we talked about white lotus uh we talked about how a lot of it feels like it was like conversations that were almost like ripped from twitter and stuff like that it was very very hot button issues very summer of 2020 politics and I do think there is something about it that made it feel a little bit more live wire than the discussions of sexual politics, sexual power, uh, d- the the relationship dynamics that are part of season two uh, that maybe do feel a little more authentic to Mike White's point of view rather than like an aggregated point of view of lots of different people. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I still feel like I was not quite as engaged uh, with the characters really? this year. I, some Something else that I, I feel like I would ultimately put in season one's favor is I think it did a slightly better job of intermingling all the different threads. Like there was a lot more, at least in my memory, of... Uh, different storylines bumping up against one another, whereas I felt like season two maybe segmented its characters a little bit more. Uh, it's not something that made me dislike the season. I, th- I like the season, but it, it, it's hmm. stuff like that when it when it does finally all come together that maybe made it feel like it all came together a little bit more for me the first go around than in this version. Season one was where? It was like in Hawaii, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Maybe it's, yes. it, it could be because they're in a foreign place uh, in the way that they're able to set up all the characters that they're like definitely away on. I don't want to call it like a, a more far out vacation, but you're in a completely different vicinity. Right. So a lot of the time, I know one of the biggest jokes for this season was that they were eating inside the resort more than going out. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. I, I disagree only because I feel the moments where you don't have characters meeting up with each other, what they're still able to do is kind of have something for the audience. So it's like you're judging these characters over here and you may think that you're imposing something on one over the other, but then you may switch your mind when he presents a similar scenario with different characters. So I think uh, while they may not all intermingle as much, I think their storylines thematically cross over in a way I thought was just better than the first season. No, totally. And there there maybe is a little bit more of like a uh, full thought going on here. And I, I don't even mean that just be detrimental to the first season, which, you know, it's been well told that it's something that Mike White put together fairly hastily and it happened to really stick. Uh, season two definitely feels more like he went into it trying to have it feel like one cohesive idea, one coherent thought. And yeah. and maybe, yeah, maybe that's why it would resonate more with uh, some people or, or why it would feel at least thematically more of, of a piece. It's um, also darker. I don't know. It is darker. You, I won't lie about that. Because in the first yeah. one, without spoiling it too much, I don't think anyone ends up bad. Even the ones who end up bad, it was because of a decision that they didn't want to make. An incident happens, and now they're out of it, which was a scenario they should have gone through. Here, 
Man, this season ends and there are people who are traumatized. There is absolutely no way that they're going to come back from some of the events of this finale and be normal people. They are completely <laughs> different individuals from the from the premiere. And I, I, I don't know. There's something about that that I think delivered in the consequences part. There's a lot of consequences in season one. I don't think you feel them. Or somebody else feels yeah. it, which kind of felt like... Well, yeah, I don't know. for sure. And see, season one, I think, ends up feeling a bit muddled in terms of... Uh, what is happening on screen and the messages Mike White is trying to get across. Season two does not have that same problem. And I do think it's interesting in some of the ways in which it sort of maybe challenges some conventional feelings about uh, how how we should view sex or, or power in relationships and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I There still is something that didn't ultimately come together as well as I wanted it to in season two. I don't know if you want to start getting more into spoilers it. and break it down. Cause I, I feel like most of us are hopefully caught up on white Lotus and, and uh, are, are, you know, have seen all that season two's had to offer and we can just talk more freely about it. Let's break this down a little bit uh, character by character and, and talk about uh, all the different aspects to this season. Uh, start, um, where do you want to start? Which character do you want to start with? I have a question for you. Who was your yeah. favorite character in season one? Season one? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Don't say the island. Don't hit me with something like that. <laughs> well, so my my problem is that like I'm going to say the least likable character, not because I think I liked him, but because I think I liked the arc they gave him, and that's Jake Lacey's character. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Do I mean, you have who's your favorite character in this one? I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know if I've I've picked one yet. I mean, I like I like Lucia a lot. Okay, perfect. Because I was gonna uh, name yeah. them as a couple. So let's begin with them. I would argue that uh, the duel of Lucia and her friend are easily a standout in this season, and one of the reasons why I think that they're a better character or better characters than what we had in season one. Uh, You have a dynamic, I think, this season in where you're able to see a lot of the people who aren't just the employees in the hotel and then the rich people. You also Mm -hmm. have, like, the people who are coming from the town who have their own thing going on, and I think that the season very much focuses on them because they get the final shot, which I thought was awesome because they ended up becoming, like, fan favorites. the first one, I think, Um, no? Did they get the first shot, too? Well, at least... If you don't count the cold open, I think we start with them. There you go. So I think that uh, they do a really good job, especially with this being in their territory. You know, they're in their homeland, that they're the ones who are able to kind of maneuver the the best. I think they get the best outcome out of everybody. Uh, like mm-hmm. I said, a lot of people end up very traumatized. These two, they, they walked out uh, especially well. Uh, yeah. Because when you're looking at them, the whole premise with these two is that they've set up for this new um, boat of guests. One of them, which ends up becoming a, a really big mystery, is going to be one of the guys who's hired her. You end up realizing that it's uh, Imperioli's character of Dominic, who he's in the trio of, uh, of the family members who we'll get to. But it it falls apart because that's their long con, right? Like they are... right. Two women who are there waiting for rich people to come to stay at the White Lotus. And even with some mm-hmm. pushback because of the manager, they're there to do a long con to see who they can get a lot of money out of. Specifically in a way where they, they're going to make the person believe that they're being held, not hostage, but like someone is there who they owe, they owe money to. And I love it how yeah. Dominic is able to avoid that only for his son to get caught up in the trip, <laughs> in all of it. And he still has to pay. For the 50K that he was able to get out of. it's uh, I think it's a beautiful yeah. story about how, just like the grandpa, 
was so perverted that it passed down to the son. It continues to pass down to the grandchild, and those repercussions, you know, it's the father who's going to have to pay them. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, there is that very fun shot towards the very end of the episode where the woman walks by all three DeGrassos and they all turn, and despite. Uh, I'll be, you know, lecturing them throughout the season about, uh, you know, the patriarchy and sexual politics and whether or not they are good husbands. Uh, they all are susceptible to the the whims of an attractive woman. So uh, I, I, it was funny. And I think it's very funny the way in which uh, Lucia is really able to exploit them. I think Lucia being a sex worker is the kind of character. It's easy who, for on, on a lot of shows, they might try to be a little bit more moralistic about it. Or uh, I've seen, I think we've seen scenarios like this where because of her character's maybe precarious nature in, in like the the uh, societal power dynamics, mm-hmm. you know, she might end up becoming sacrificed. And that's one of the reasons why I thought she was a likely candidate for the to be one of the bodies in the end. There's a lot of people speculating, is this going to sit to, is this situation with the pimp and Albie and whatever going to turn violent? Yeah. And I like that Mike White uh, chooses to go with another way with them. There's that quote that she has midway through the season, like maybe we won't be punished, you know? And and they realize like they can kind of do get the most out of this situation. They they take uh, they they get the room keys and get access to the hotel, so they're able nah, to <laughs> uh, have one over on Valentina, who wants to throw them out easily. Uh, they, what's her friend's they're name? Able, uh, not not Lucia. Not um, Lucia. What's her friend? Mia, right? I want to say she was like yeah. the quieter one. Nah, she was a sleeper hit right there. <laughs> what this girl does so connivingly, right? It's the ones who by accident end up in the piano position of one of the highest paid resorts <laughs> there on the island. Uh, those are the ones you need to watch out for. The way she was able yeah. to just accidentally give the wrong pills to the guy who is now out <laughs> of commission. The way she's able to sleep with the manager by exploiting the one side of her that she's never really uh, flourished on, which is her sexuality running the piano thing at the end and then you know getting away with it all uh yeah i think them as a duo are very dangerous you know you got the quiet one and then you got the one who's very upfront, and i I think they played off each other well yeah mia's turn was a little bit sudden for me but i'm not gonna say i didn't enjoy her conniving nature in the back half of the (laughs) season it sneaks up on you (laughs) no but i i agree with you just the way they were able to get the keys uh, and then that, that one sequence with Valentina where Valentina's been kicking him out for like, what, two episodes? And then they have to because she has to listen to Imperioli's character. Uh, yeah. She has to pass on um, that the the j- just the access to be able to get in there. But I found her character to also be really fascinating. Uh, yeah. There was a character in the first season that I thought was really interesting, but I know they cut her short, the one who was pregnant. That was like, I yeah. thought the one person who we were able, we were going to stick around with for a little bit because I hated the manager in the first one. So I kind of like how the first one ends, but I hated him in the first one. There's something about her that I really liked and something uh, that she goes through in the second half of the season that I thought was Mm -hmm. really interesting when you were talking about the sex politics. There's one dynamic of her where she's running the lobby where she has um, Isabella, someone who works there with her, who's always being flirted with by one of the other guys. But because she's lesbian. Rocco. (laughs) Yeah, Rocco. She kicks Rocco out so that they're no longer flirting. And Mm -hmm. if she was anybody else, you would see that as a dynamic from a boss 
to someone who's underneath them that should not be happening. Uh, and I thought the way that they were able to relay her as a manager, as opposed to a lot of the other stuff that was happening with Imperioli's character, mm-hmm. um, especially when we start getting into Tanya's character and the circle that she's running around with, about how the, uh, the power dynamics of being above somebody, uh, you are technically... There's one line that she says at the end where she says, stop hitting on this woman. I'm kicking you out. When for like three episodes, all she was doing was ruining Isabella's hitting work, on that same workplace. Woman? Exactly. Because she wanted her for herself. So uh, I thought the way they were able to handle Valentina was that of a of a of a superior who's broken. But like you said, just like Lucia's character, we never see her as evil. We're able to get into the nuances of someone who. Uh, power dynamic starts spilling a little bit over. So I, I really yeah. enjoyed the way that they were able to uh, play her out. Yeah, I mean, you see how, like, she's got this very uh, this very unfulfilling personal life and how that's kind of led her to be so tightly wound mm-hmm, yeah. that all the pressures she experiences at work, she's not able to really approach them in kind of a kind way. And then she has this one person in Isabella that she uh, ha- has this, like, side of kindness towards because she's hopeful that that can spark a romance or whatever. Uh, But, you know, that it ends up being, uh, despite her, like, veneer of professionalism, she has this side to her that is also trying to use, uh, you know, use whatever power she has to her own benefit. Just interesting to see that dynamic play out. Easily. There's Um, also one thing that each character goes through, which I enjoyed in season two. At the end, they always learn a lesson or they learn a lesson in a way that they were never expecting. For Valentina, it's the person she was kicking out of the resort ends up being the one who kind of frees her up the most. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, the way that she really does come around by the end. Yeah. It, it's an interesting tr- progression to track and also very interesting in contrast to what they did with Murray uh, being that he ends up in a, a much worse uh, place by the end. Uh, they don't treat the, the hotel staff quite so negatively in season two yeah. of White Lotus. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about the, 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 the Grassos? I think easily. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the more famous faces on this season in F. Mary Abraham and Michael Imperioli uh, as the elder to DeGrasso's. Also, Adam DeMarco, who plays Albie. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting things play- coming to play in Michael Imperioli's character being a uh, adulterer who is going through a divorce and how that's kind of fractured their family uh, and uh, his father, Bert, constantly sort of telling him, like, just be more discreet. Uh, you 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 don't have to put all your stuff out there. I was more discreet with myself. Uh, I thought that that was sort of alluding to Bert maybe having a little bit more going on that would be revealed by the end of the season. He kind of, it was just sort of like a doddering old man for, for the most part. But uh, I still think their dynamic was fun. I, I, I. I don't know if it's just me spinning my conspiracy theory wheels too much, but I kind of felt like the place that episode seven left them was a little bit of like a dramatic letdown. It felt very predictable. I felt like you could see uh, Albie getting conned a long way off and that they didn't escalate it anywhere from there. Just in in contrast to how uh, the Tanya... Uh, arc played out and how the uh, Aubrey couple dynamic played out. Yeah. It was like the least dramatically satisfying conclusion to me. If I may, 
I think everybody does yeah. learn something. But out of everybody who visited, these three bozos were going to be the least to learn a lesson when they come home, right? <laughs> this, this, the, the oldest one, first off, he's just happy that he was aroused by the end of it, right? That's his big thing after yes. this whole whole trip. I thought I saw her like a daughter, a but I got aroused. Again. Exactly. He got to see a naked woman. Lucia satisfied all three of these men, even if she drained them of several different things. The middle <laughs> one. He's just happy that he ends up. And I thought it was, they were going to go darker with him because they were talking about how the daughter, the mom, wasn't talking to Imperioli's character. The the yeah. father of Dom just like Dominic. he was thrown to the side. At the end, he does kind of get his way. He's able to help the kid out in the way that he wanted to. And now he's talking mm-hmm. to the mom. You know that's terrible. You know that for the mom, she should not be talking to this man at all. Yet he found a way back in there. So he actually ends up better. The kid at the yeah. end. Wasted 50K. Was it his 50K? Nope. So now he's going to be just like the father. He's going to grow up to one day bring his kid. And who knows what it's going to be by then with inflation. Probably another 100K. So like all of them were going to end up exactly where they were. I did not see any of them learning any lessons. They were so dumb. They were fun to hang out with. And it's like they were always the ones who were bringing somebody with them. So like the first time they're bringing uh, Portia's character. Second time they're they're bringing Lucia with them. Um, I thought they provided something... uh, really interesting to the dynamic of seeing the generations and how they're able to pass on. And like you said, that that, mm-hmm. that closing shot is the best shot of the three of them and, and speaks volumes in every way. So uh, I like their Godfather visit. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> and and their, their whole discussion, uh, uh, like you said, the, the kid trying to be smarter than them and, and blaming yeah. uh, toxic masculinity on the stuff that they watched growing up. And uh, just the back and forth between them, I thought w- was really interesting. And like you said, they're the easiest ones to condemn, I feel. You know, it's like Lucia isn't condemned here. Maybe 20 years ago, like you said, she might have been the one to have died. She might have been the one that the right. whole show kind of looks down upon. Um, but now you kind of see her as empowering. And these men, the ones hiring them, are kind of the the, the schmucky ones. So uh, I'd be curious to see if they're the ones who, who they continue the story with. Because if season one continued it with Jennifer Coolidge. Right. Would season two pick another guest to see them go somewhere? And personally, I think it was actually the dad who had mentioned it. Um, there's those islands. Or actually, it wasn't them. It was the couples who had mentioned it. Theo James' character mentions a couple islands off the coast of India, if I'm not mistaken. The so, Maldives, the yeah. Maldives. A lot of people have been saying different we, things. They name-dropped one. Let, yeah, well, let's get into we'll get our season that. three speculation a little bit. But do uh, you want to move on to that couple? Uh, the Aubrey Plaza... Uh, what is it? Will Sharp, uh, Megan Fahey, and Theo James Quartet? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Probably the most obnoxious, irritating, tense, yet I thought the most engaging storyline of the entire season. Yeah, I mean, I probably the most engaging, but at the same time, like I, I did feel a little bit of a letdown in some of the turns it took. Um, really? How so? You know, I think so. I think when they kind of show you um, Ethan getting really paranoid and and visualizing over and over again uh, the paranoia uh, yeah. that his his wife having this affair, I think it's almost like a little bit cheap. And I, I think it would have been better for her to not either not have it or not admit to. I don't know if like we're supposed to think that she's just admitting to get him to try and calm down, but. It, it just, I don't know, was a little less, su- it's one thing that didn't, su- it made that whole bit less surprising to me, I think is what it was. I, I feel like it forecasted itself a little and and wasn't like big, 
a, a big revelation. It something that made me think differently about the characters. It kind of played the way that I expected it to. Um, and I, I do like the ultimate way, a place that it resolved to with uh, Ethan having to sort of like talk to Daphne to find uh, some kind of like peace with it and them having their little walk off to the other island together mm-hmm. to, to who knows what. Right. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I... I Maybe it was just that it was a little bit strung out. Maybe that's one of the places where I would have preferred six episodes to seven, but I, I, I wasn't as into that plot line. So you don't think they did anything? No, I, I'm 100% sure they did something. They did something? Yeah. Because Cameron wants to smash his wife, as he said. <laughs> uh, I thought that the way that they were able to play off of each other in their relationships, Theo James and uh, I'm blinking on his wife's character uh, with Daphne, Cameron. Megan Fahey. Yeah, Cameron and Daphne being the more advanced couple, if you want to call them that, the people who have had yeah. money for a little bit, uh, them kind of relaying the fact like, yo, this is just how it goes. The guy, he's going to cheat. Because at least, uh, as Daphne said, he is, what, hedge funding or whatever it is? His workers are like pure evil, according to her. But he still has mm-hmm. this like naughty boy in him but it's still boyish and the way that she just goes through her life is by seeing herself as not being the victim a line that she quotes two times in the series aubrey sees that and the entire time she's new to this money and her big push with her partner is that besides one being a morning person one being a night person she keeps making fun of this lifestyle and i think there there's that one sequence or the one uh, episode where the guys are split and the girls are split that is when the guys go do their rendezvous and they're really high off molly but only one of Mm -hmm. them cheats when uh harper and daphne's character go and spend the night somewhere just uh, at random aubrey plaza returns back home pretty much just spilling all the beans right saying like yo i told you they were cheating on each other they're not as happy yada 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 at that point i was really confused as to why what's her husband's name what's her partner's name Ethan? Why? Who? Ethan? Why was he still keeping yeah. bro code if there's no bro code to keep <laughs> yeah. when she just said this is what they're doing? And he could have just been like, yeah, he did that yesterday. Like, like yeah. there's nothing to reveal if if you're, you're I don't know. I don't know. That was just me. No, That's yeah. where I felt that because, uh, again, I like it, but I'm, I'm starting off just agreeing with you. It felt cheap. And even more than that, him knowing how disgusted he's been with this guy since college. Looking at the couch where he was smashing the night before with two <laughs> prostitutes, you would have at least told her, honey, uh, get out from that couch. And he didn't. It was a cheap way to get them to argue. But once they start arguing, I thought the way they played off of his paranoia, the destruction of their relationship. Yeah. Very heavy metaphor on the breaking the statue that represents a couple <laughs> fighting with each other that may, and, and how that tension may turn into violence, breaking that and eventually having this rebirth as a couple. That you can mm-hmm. see as broken, but them kind of coming through the other side. Um, I don't think it was a good ending. I like the approach they took. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, I'm not happy with the ending. I hate the revelation when he's yelling at her and she finally reveals it. But it's like, right. I don't know. I thought he had the balls to go down that line. Just the same way that he's yeah. able to end Tanya's role. Yeah, I, I like the overall trajectory of you kind of 
Oh, beginning to beginning the show, looking at Cameron and Daphne as this couple that has these issues, right? They don't trust each other. They play these games with each other. That's not what we think a good marriage should be. And that by the end, we are supposed to see that they actually have a healthier dynamic with each other than these people who and have understanding. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that that having some kind of understanding is better than like holding on to these resentments and not uh, not approaching them because it's maybe the more polite thing to do. I think it's interesting, but like you said, it's just some of the some of the steps along the way that maybe felt a little bit like I I, I always get frustrated when a problem will be solved just by people talking to each other, just be being honest with people <laughs> Damn, Zach. who you're supposed to be honest with. And and there was a little bit too much of that in, in this uh, plot line, I think. I believe communication is the key to fixing all problems yeah. if you're at home. But I, I suppose in a drama, you want to see a little bit. You want to see Ethan kill him, didn't you? <laughs> I I felt like that's where we were going. And then they went, they uh, got, gave us the fight a little bit too early yeah. in the uh, runtime for I me. I thought to they were going to knock out that, that guy. They were going to go back him. there. Yeah, but yeah, they they could have duked it out a, a bit more, but it, it's so disgusting, bro. The fact that he gives them the black eye in this, right? And it isn't until they're back home at the airport that his wife Daphne is looking at him like, "Oh no, your black eye that's right there." Um, look, at the end of it, you could lead up to however much would have happened in that locked door behind mm-hmm. them in the resort. Whatever they did in that island, I think in the uh, after the credits, uh, what is it? The behind the scenes for the episode. Mike White practically tells you, yeah, it's yeah. exactly what you think it may be. Um, and they come out the other end in the weirdest way possible. Him finally appreciating his wife because someone else wanted her. And there's a couple of characters who end like that as well in the series. People who yeah. only value something once someone else has told them this is something of value. Interesting. Uh, I will just give one last shout out, though, before we move on to some other characters, to Megan Fahey and Daphne, who I thought she was pretty excellent throughout the show and gave a lot of depth to a character who I don't know I would have otherwise felt like had that much depth. That that look she has when Ethan tells her that he thinks that uh, Cameron and uh, Aubrey's character – I'm forgetting Aubrey's character's name, uh, Harper. Harper. Then when he tells her her that he thinks Cameron and Harper have been doing something, just the the way she processes it in her face before sign of calmly reacting, beautiful moment. Beautiful Beautiful moment. moment. Um, But yeah, at the end of it, he does accuse Theo or Cameron. Ethan tells Cameron that he's like, you're always trying to sleep with whatever. I feel subconsciously in the back of it, that never left his mind. So why did he come to begin with? I think he wanted to see, can I still get him to want what I have? I think it's like a, a really messed up way of thinking that the people who were right. the bad ones or the ones who were prying on somebody else, it could be in reverse as well. But yeah. I don't know. Again, really good characters all around. We still got a couple more, if I'm not mistaken. The, the biggest ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got the returning character and the one who go. had the most eventful finale in Jennifer Coolidge's Tanya, who always has a memorable stay whenever she goes to a White Lotus resort. And uh, this might be the most memorable one of her life. Uh, (laughs) She has a up and down season where she begins there on a trip with her her new husband, Greg, who we we also met on last season. Uh, He very quickly leaves the picture, leaving her 
to uh, spend time with her assistant, Portia, portrayed by Haley Lou Richardson, until they meet up with an interesting crew of men led by Tom Hollander here uh, as Quentin, who whisk her off to Italian palazzos. You know, people uh, really don't care enough about old buildings, Arturo. Nope, they Um, do not. (laughs) <laughs> what did you think about Tanya's whole plot line on uh, season two of White Lotus? Did you like her in season one? I mean, I love Jennifer Coolidge. I, I, I have always really enjoyed uh, when she shows up in films. So I was happy to see her uh, get that big of a shine. You know, her character is sort of, I don't know. I, I feel like her character is so wishy-washy that sometimes there's not as much to dig into, but I think she's very funny Yeah, and the show isn't that focused on humor outside of her. And hilarious uh, Emmy speech when she got the win for it last year as well. I feel like in season one, she was crying a lot, right? She's still crying a lot in season two, but it's a lot more of her (laughs) paranoia. And I think the paranoia was more exciting to see just to see how frantic she would get and the faces that she would make. I found it to be hilarious. I was not expecting it to be her at all i expected Mm -hmm. her demise to be something different there was all these theories about her being set up for infidelity and that that way she was going to lose all the money in the divorce with greg um i thought the addition of portia was interesting uh even though you know i love my girl but dang was she like the epitome of her times 10 someone had even uh showcased how there's a line in in the series early on where she says you remind me of a younger me and damn, they pulled up side by sides of what they both look like, uh, especially when Coolidge was young. The eyebrows are a match, bro. They're damn near the same person. Uh, yeah, I, I just thought the dynamic of what they had was hilarious, except for Portia being the most, the tightest ball of anxiety possible, right? <laughs> like she could not catch a break and it was all because of her own mental state. Uh, yeah. Obviously, she ends up in a position where like she has to break through that because she actually gets into trouble uh, or they find themselves in trouble. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought everything that they went through this season was was a lot more exciting than season one. With her being a producer, I also feel that a lot of what she does is just her. She's mentioned that she travels with a dozen and plus <laughs> uh, suitcases as well. I think she had lost a parent in season one and her whole storyline there also happens to be about losing a parent. Um, yeah, I'll miss her for season three. I, I wouldn't yeah, too I mean, many episodes, but I, I will be missing her. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of maybe, like, it's a little more, like, baton passy and keeps things fresh. I, I don't know if we need, you know, f- five seasons of Tanya oh, around Coolidge, the world. For but, sure. We don't um, need her to be a, it, a Marvel, what's it called? <laughs> the main Nick state. Fury from a the Nick White Fury. Lotus. <laughs> she comes back with, like, an eye patch. That'd be so dumb. <laughs> Um, I, I actually, I liked the way that they ultimately decided to, uh, bring her character to a close. I think that there was, I think it was kind of leading in a direction that you knew something big was going to happen because obviously there was all this mystery around what is Quentin doing? What's the relationship between Quentin and Jack? They're talking about the mafia and stuff like that. Who Who is this guy, Nicolo? You know, it, it, there was just too many things pointing to something bigger going on, especially once we got the reveal of the photo uh, with Greg in the past. Um, I, I, you know, I, I sometimes 
I do kind of wish there was maybe a little bit of clarity given in that moment. Although I, I know I that's maybe too. a bad impulse. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm asking to be spoon fed, but at the same time, it's like I, I don't know if you I want to know. I don't know if I would pick up on some of these things if I wasn't like googling the White Lotus and reading Reddit threads and stuff yeah. like that, right? Um, so it, I don't know. I did like the way in which they kind of show you that she's in danger and give her one last moment of kind of triumph before deciding to kill her in a very Tanya way. Like it wouldn't really be, it, it would be too tragic if she was bound and thrown overboard on the ship or something like that. Right. You have yeah. to give her that moment of, of, of beating her adversaries and then stumbling to her own demise because she's often her own worst enemy on this show. Um, and it, it, you know, it is like a bit of humor, right? Because this isn't a show, even though it has these dramatic moments and the, these tense um, undercurrent of, of like the knowledge that there will be a dead body. It, it is a breezy, fun comedy, right? So the way that she leaves has to be kind of hijinks oriented, not, yeah. not, not a, not a tragedy. She went out the, the way only she would, right? And it was interesting you said that because some people were like, who's going to be the murder? Who's this? And people were like yeah. uh, on Twitter who hadn't seen the show were asking, wait, this is a murder show? I thought it was a comedy. Right. So yeah, it's the interesting tone that it carries with it. Do you want to talk about any – I was going to ask if you want to talk about any of the uh, potential theories or uh, – ideas people had that didn't come true. Like I heard a lot of, Oh, Daphne's definitely a murderer, which just would have been like Aww. such a hard left nah. turn. Yeah. I think in the final moments of that show, uh-huh. she doesn't, she doesn't, she isn't the victim. She makes others her victim. <laughs> we ruined a lot of her lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, of any, any, anything theories. else that you thought might've happened or no. Uh, again, my biggest one was uh, just that idea of the infidelity and being able to, uh, uh, duping her into sleeping, Tanya sleeping in uh, with that with that rich guy, and then right. having that caught on camera to like try to to get her. Um, but yeah, no, that yeah, was what it. is that that red dot in the corner? Yeah, that's what everyone kept talking about. Who knows? It was it was trying to hide the coffee cup that they probably had in the in the <laughs> shot. The one thing that I did have, and I don't know if they relate because you know we're having discussions on, excuse me, who they may continue the story with, and Albie and Portia did exchange numbers. They began the season together, and it was in those early seasons where I had messaged you, right? Because it took me like three months to finish the first episode. But I finally finished it, and I had sent Zach a picture of Albie when him and Portia are out eating. And there's something about this guy, the way this guy was discussing things that made me think he was like some creeper, bro. I thought he, I thought he was going to take out a couple bodies at the end. Um, again, I, I think they go a softer route with him, but nonetheless, it's still like... It's still there, that idea of what his grandpa and his father have relayed down of being uh, unfaithful in the way that they treat women. You know, he's still mm. a caring guy, and you see it at the end. But I think he can go left at any point, bro. The way that he says some lines, especially when he's hanging out with Portia, I feel at the end, the whole reason he was written that way was so that we want her to leave and go with that other guy, only to dupe us because that guy ends up being crazier. Because at the end, Albie ended up being a little bit more of a sweetheart than I expected. But the way yeah. he spoke at the beginning, man, was a little was was a little thread room. Like, I thought the th the place they were gonna go with Albie was gonna be a little bit more like um, sometimes Pushy. men who sometimes men who try to act as if they are very valiant and very feminist oriented also have a very limited view of what women can or should be too. They right, think they're and, and he. 
he was very he was really putting Portia in a box in the beginning of that show and not listening to her the way that you would think a guy who is supposedly like a feminist might listen to someone or, or try to read signs. Um, and I thought that was the point they were ultimately going to make. And, and it does not really seem like that's the direction they went. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it it's going to be weird if they do try to make him and Portia a thing going into a potential season three. Like, I don't know if that's what they're trying to hint at by them exchanging numbers in the finale. Uh, Mike White in the interview thing that played after the episode did mention that like, we might find out more about what happens to Greg. If we hear from Portia later on, which makes me think that's one of the people that uh, we could see on white Lotus season three. I I don't know. Okay. All right. We'll see. Did you like her fits? (laughs) Portia's fits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, the, it was unique. Um, the shaggy was all right, right there, but the, yeah, she had some. You know, I like her when she had some very interesting fits going on on this vacation. And uh, wait, yeah, wait, I guess wait, here's she, the good one. She stuck I, through. I, them, I have bro. a picture of the best one. All right, there show we me. go. Oh my gosh, bro! <laughs> That's like a eighth grade. I feel you know like what that is? T- 2000, 2004 popular fashion. Is Zach and Cody season two? Zach wore this exact yeah. outfit skating into the <laughs> lobby. I swear to you. Hey, she was great in it. Um, overall, yeah, uh, I like Haley Lou a lot, even though I, her character yeah. did a lot of complaining. She did a lot of complaining, but I guess when Jennifer Coolidge, when Tanya is your your boss and she sifted through yeah. managers, that can happen. Um, I am curious to see where they take it, but overall, I, I still stand by it. I think season two uh, did a better job than season one, uh, and I think that's a good sign of a good series, right? Uh, this is a limited series. This is supposed to be part two. That way they get to swindle the Emmys. Uh, I, I think they did it also for the Globes as well, and be able to have um, less competition without having to face dramas or comedies uh, and be able to face the other uh, limited series section. But, hey, as long as it's good episodes and good characters, I'm down for it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, like the Agatha Christie novels or whatever. It's just kind of like a premise that really works well and works in lots of interchangeable ways. So I have no problem with them continuing it. And in fact, like, this is a show that I don't think you even need Mike White to continue it. You just have different perspectives come in and, and you need him take you got the, the general premise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, obviously, oh, he'd have to hey, approve it. Mike White must be happy right now. Because this is his baby. He's got his own franchise. Yeah. Yeah. So good for him. He's got his own Knives Out or whatever. Um, we were talking a little bit about where we might, what we might think would happen in season three or where we might want season three to go. Um, I think I saw an interview in Deadline where Mike White alluded to potentially doing the next season in Japan. But there is also, as you mentioned, that moment uh, with the couples where they mentioned next year in the Maldives. And I think Maldives could be cool too. Uh, we're talking about, you know, I searched it up. how it's crazy. each, each season has to have like kind of A something look? cohesive around it. And Maldives is like one of the areas in the world that's like most affected by climate change. And when you talk about ultra rich people coming in uh, to a resort like that, I feel like that against the backdrop of something like that happening is fruitful potentially. Um, I also love the idea of going to Japan, just talking about uh, something that would potentially be uh, a real like culture shock for a lot of the 
uh, wealthy tourists trying to travel there. I, I like I like them switching it up. Is there anything that you would uh, you would lean towards, or should they go in a completely different direction for where season three is? I like Japan. I like the Maldives Islands that we mentioned because they give them a distinct look. You know, there was something with the white lotus where randomly they would just cut to the, the, the lava spewing from the volcano. And it's like, all right, I know which season I'm watching of this show, right? Um, and I, I just think that each one should come with uh, a distinct look to get the feel of what that uh, season is supposed to be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Brady in the live stream comments pointing out that both season one and season two were filmed at different Four Seasons resorts. So yeah. that might be all uh, four seasons. a fun game of elimination to play mm-hmm. um also they, question... i don't know if you heard he, they film on the off seasons so you're also gonna have to see who's available in the off seasons because mm-hmm. them the, realizing that they filmed in the cold that that kind of sucks <laughs> uh we got a question actually kind of related to that from josh in the live stream asking who would you guys cast in season three now i've seen this question or similar questions going around on twitter and it always gets responses like Meryl Streep, Leonardo DiCaprio, and like people just don't know how to play this game because you have to play it in a way that is somewhat realistic. Aubrey Plaza, Haley Lou Richardson are probably the biggest names we got this season. You know, Michael Imperioli and Efrain Abraham. They're names, but they're not movie stars. So trying to keep that in consideration, who, who are some actors that maybe, maybe you would like to see? on the next season of White Lotus. Denzel Washington, Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Would be dope. Hey, you got a Haley Lou, give me Zoe Deutsch, right? I think she'd be good with the series. Ooh. I think she's able to handle something like that if we're talking about castings in that sense. Uh, <laughs> a lot. I don't know if you saw Edward Norton came out during his press tour, uh, during the press tour for Knives Out, and he's been saying that this is his favorite thing on TV easily. And a lot of the comparisons with it being a murder mystery... Um, obviously this is even worse than what you said keeping it realistic for the actors you know what combine franchises give me uh, leblanc in there trying to solve the next case wherever it is um i'm not sure necessarily on the uh, on the acting side of things but i just thought of something else from your previous one in the snow Oh yeah, Brady. We keep, we keep thinking about four seasons Alps, and where maybe? but like but like why not a location or a different season mm. so it's not warm anymore i think a snowy one would be interesting, interesting. Yeah, what about how, you? how integral is or... warmth? Hmm? Um, yeah. I, I don't do like the, body the idea. Can keep, bro. You don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in terms of casting a location. Um, you know, uh, maybe inspired by how tiny her role was in Black Panther. I'm going to go with my girl, Lake Bell. I feel like Lake Bell would kill it Stop. in a White Lotus. No, you just want her to take over the Daddario <laughs> role from season one. Sure. Maybe she's might maybe more of a Connie Britton now, but uh, sure. Connie Britton is also rumored to come back for season three. Um, who else could that is get interesting, into right? Because technically, Lotus. you could do that. They could just be a cameo. They're just staying at the tail end of an episode or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else could we get into a White Lotus? It's just going to be like knives out announcements when season three starts. A new person exactly. has been has been accepted, but by then HBO might even change their name, so it'll be completely different. Yeah, we'll look forward to it on on Max or whatever it is. It's disgusting. (laughs) 
All right. So uh, any other final thoughts on season two of White Lotus? No, just highly recommended. I'm curious to see people's opinions on who their favorite character is. Uh, other theories. Maybe someone else can come up with something interesting, a different place to go to or good casting decisions. But I'm excited to see what they're bringing next. Don't like their category fraud with limited series, but uh, I thought yeah. they were able to do something different enough. And I'm very curious to see where he takes season three. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fun premise. And even though I sometimes feel like the the finale is a bit of a letdown, I felt that with season one and I felt it with season two, too. It is just a really fun ride. And I like just the questions that it brings up. It always starts good conversations. So it's a show that I really enjoy watching and I enjoy uh, the collective watching experience about it. You know, we've talked a lot on Intercut about uh, binge releases versus weekly releases. And this is one that I'm very glad is a weekly release because it always inspires fun conversations sure. uh, on, on Monday mornings. Easily. All right. So that's about all for this edition of After Credits here on the Intercut Podcast channel. You catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. And you can check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. Artwork and people find more from you. You can find me over at LME Explain on Twitter, on YouTube, on Letterboxd, or every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're listening not just to the audio version, but to the video version as well on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Watch our weekend must-watches streaming every Monday on the YouTube channel. We'll be getting to that shortly. And please leave us a comment, like the videos, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Need a couple more to, to keep me warm in this cool weather. I need some five-star reviews for sustenance, so please head over to iTunes for that. Shout-out to our listeners in Nigeria for putting this Ooh. on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Like our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter. Support us on Patreon, too. You can find all of those at Intercut Pod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, people don't care enough about old buildings.